the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for listening to us tonight on this beautiful Sunday evening here. Um, It's been a crazy couple of weeks. It's been something we want to focus on tonight with regard to mass shootings, with regard to safety of our children. Uh, it's just insane what we see with regard to people coming out and the, the damage danger to children in schools. Uh, the frontline defense we have on that are the paid professional law enforcement officers known as school resource officers, or the abbreviation of SRO. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking to an SRO, and uh, we'll be taking phone calls after 8.30, and you can call the station here at WHK after 8.30 at uh, 216-901-0945. The number again is 216-901-0945, and uh, we'll take your questions because I know this is a matter that concerns all of us, just seeing our precious children uh, murdered the way they have been in the recent situation in Texas. With us tonight is School Resource Officer John Carl. John, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Nick. Pleasure to be here. A pleasure to have you, John. John, you and I have worked together for how many years? Uh, A couple dozen, maybe. (laughs) A couple dozen years, we sure have. John's a police officer with the North Rolton Police. He's uh, recently retired, but still serving as a school resource officer and sort of a post-retirement. How is it that you're retired? How do you feel still working? we're, We're talking about the Sopranos. You know, you think you're out and they bring you back in, you know. I was really excited to go back in, actually. Uh, I didn't adjust well to retirement. Uh, in the in the position as a school resource officer, uh, there was always a lot of activity. There was always a, lot of, always a lot of things to do and planning and working with people on things. Uh, so I, I felt a little bit um, lonely, and uh, we looked into it, and they were able to bring me back, and I'm supplementing the full-time officer who replaced me who's doing really a great job also. Well, you look very happy, very content. You have good color, good respiration. You look like you're in fine health, John. Uh, I'm doing my best. <laughs> better better from uh, being in a sleepy retirement, I suppose. And, and with us tonight, our co-host, Kathy Lux. Kathy, thank you for good being evening. with us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. So, Hi, John. So you, good to see you. It's been a while. It's been many years. Yes. Now, let me explain that, uh, is that Kathy Lux also used to be the former mayor of North Royalton, and John is a police officer in North Royalton. So uh, it's a small world, basically, so we're all here together to talk about uh, what's going on in the schools and what has been going on in the schools. John, you've been a school resource officer since about what year? Uh, 2003 was when I did uh, applied to, volunteered to do that program. It's like 19 years ago. So is that at the beginning of the program, or were there school resource officers before? There were some before. Uh, probably the largest organization in Ohio was the Toledo Police Department mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, they spearheaded some programs, conducted a lot of training, 
they were kind of a model program, uh, and there have been a lot of others since then. And uh, we've been trying to grow that part of the profession for a long time to try and supplement and enhance uh, school safety and security. Well, when I went to school, and I, I went to North Royalton schools, North Royalton High School, there were no school resource officers. As a matter of fact, there were no police officers in the school at all. Uh, the And we seemed to get along okay. Uh, but now when we have a police officer in the school, how did that change how schools are operating and the relationship between, say, the police and the civil criminal justice system and the juvenile court system and school administrators? Was there a change that occurred? Uh, yes. Uh, the first step actually in North Royalton in the late 80s, uh, they started doing some security just outside the schools mm-hmm. and with, you know, athletic events, uh, some school functions, and that kind of transitioned. Then, of course, we had the D.A.R.E. program. Uh, North Royalton was one of the first ones in the area that, that went um, full on with the D.A.R.E. program in that curriculum. And then uh, as things progressed, uh, we learned that it, it's very helpful to have somebody in the schools that works with the school administration, the community, kind of a liaison, uh, and with juvenile court, uh, that kind of brings everybody together. So all the interests can be represented. It's a collaborative team, and that's the most important part of it, uh, is is that, that working together. And I was very fortunate um, in the beginning of that part of my career, uh, the school administration was, uh, the philosophy was, if you recognize a problem, identify the problem, and address the problem, manage it. Uh, so that was very helpful, and uh, we did that a lot. Um, I do chase a lot of ghosts. Um, there are there are always threats, uh, and part of the training that we go through is understanding uh, the difference between somebody making a threat, saying something inappropriate, or actually posing a, a, a legitimate threat. Uh, and that's one of the things that as we progressed in that, uh, in my career, um, we became very familiar with, unfortunately. Um, there's always somebody saying something about a gun or a conflict or y- you name it. And so it's not unusual for us to be knocking on somebody's door uh, based on something that someone overheard. Uh, and, and sitting down talking with the families and saying this is what we've been presented um, and then collaborating on a solution for it. I remember working with you for about a 10-year period with a juvenile diversion program through the juvenile court where I was the magistrate and you were the police officer. And we, we gave the students uh, an experience of what it was like, even though they're only a first offender, what it was like to be in a court. Uh, and what I noticed during those years is that your placement in the school not only provided that connection between the schools and the students and the police department being civil law enforcement, mm-hmm. but you, you got to interact with the kids every day, and they got to know you. I did. Um, one of the things I've been fortunate to do is uh, get, do guest speakers or be a guest speaker in a number of different classes. Uh, that gets me face-to-face with the students. Um, I go all the way from safety town, uh, the pre-kindergarten kids where we hit, you know, we have a lot of fun together and that's their first introduction to school and, you know, community safety and everything all the way through, um, this past Friday night was North Royalton's, uh, commencement. 
so you get to know the kids at every level and being willing to be face to face with them uh, I think it just creates an invaluable connection how, how does that then result with regard to the relationship between the students generally and their knowledge and their familiarity with dealing with police I think it's very beneficial for them uh, I think that uh, in our case, in our school district, in our city, um, they're not afraid to approach police. They're not afraid. You don't see some of the classic conflicts that you hear people talking about, teenagers versus police. Um, I mean, we still do our job, uh, you know, the rest of the officers. Traffic enforcement is always important. Um, you know, all the other traditional law enforcement roles. Um, but there's definitely a, um, a better understanding. And I think that reduces the conflict overall. I think the familiarity and the personal interaction really, really helps. I agree. So, so I, I just like to get a little more flavor, a little better feel of what's a normal day for you in the school. What's that experience? Um, arrive in the morning, uh, check in with the administrators, uh, see if there's anything of any concern that anyone has, um, maybe talk to a couple of classes. Um, some of the most popular ones that we do, especially in the middle school, um, I've done a lot of work with our teachers with internet safety and you know using technology appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always keeping us busy. Um, there may be a student having uh, a conflict at home. They want to have somebody to talk to. Um, one of the things that we've had the advantage of is having several school counselors, but also myself, um, the administrators. There's a large pool uh, that the students can talk to so that they can they can communicate effectively with somebody that they feel comfortable communicating with. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times just being there, um, accompanying students and teachers on school field trips. Uh, a few weeks ago, we just got back from the 8th grade Washington, D.C. trip. Um, yeah. I've been going on those types of trips for a long time. We're talking to school resource officer John Carl about uh, what being an SRO or school resource officer is all about. What's the day-to-day activity? And uh, with that, we're going to be coming back. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with John Carl talking about what SROs do. And I want to start talking about things, uh, and I did take some notes during this last segment, uh, about shooters, males, troubled, bullied, quiet, emotional problems, access to firearms, and threats. Do the communication pathways that you have with the students that you've established, do they allow you to hear a flow of who these troubled students are? Who are the threats? It's probably a long answer. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, the advocate. We'll be right back. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Tonight, after the shootings in Texas of uh, fourth grade students, I thought it important to find out what's going on in our schools here in Ohio. And we have school resource officer John Carl with us tonight. Uh, who's been nearly 20 years working, or, or more than 20 years, perhaps, as a school resource officer. 
And uh, we were just talking about uh, pretty much what the day was, establishing a relationship and a communication system between the students and police by having a friendly, ever-present, persistent police officer in the schools, which is what an SRO is supposed to do. Uh, but we're, we're talking about, just before the break, the question about these students who are maybe the profile shooters, the ones who come in with the firearms. They are very angry, and they just methodically, without remorse, without any reflection, uh, murder people, teachers, students, and so forth. Is it possible, from all you've read and all you've experienced, John, as to um, can we get a head start or a jump on any of this? Can we identify these kids? Can we prevent the... We can't stop things before they happen unless we have cause. What, what, what kind of cause is out there that we can actually recognize? Some of the things that we use to try and recognize a problem or someone that needs some help or intervention uh, is looking at um, what we know about them. Uh, the counselors, the teachers, when they, if they observe um, behavior that's alarming, um, Sometimes it can be something as simple as a younger student who's scribbling something inappropriate on a notepad, um, you know, anything like that, and try to encourage the staff to be very attentive to those little things, and we investigate. Um, we will bring in the family, friends, student, uh, counselors, school psychologists. We have a social worker on staff, um, you know, anyone we need to, to try and help intervene. Um, characteristically, anytime there's an officer in a building, uh, and this is nationwide, the National School Resource Officers Association has done a lot with this, um, complaints with the juvenile court tend to diminish and go down uh, because the kids may have never learned about a, a, a rule or a law or been exposed to that before. And being there face-to-face with the kids, they can ask questions, they can learn um, how they're supposed to act in the community. And that part alone, just being there uh, available to them, uh, makes a big difference in the temperament. Years ago, there used to be a standard uh, issue between the police and the schools and the students. And the subtopic student rights comes into being. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with searching lockers. Uh, And that searching a locker before anything is actually happening. Uh, but yet the safety of the students, you see all the signs, you see a troubled student, threats made and so forth. Um, using the student locker search as just one example, and we have students that may threaten to bring guns to school or talk about guns or that kind of thing. Um, where can you start intervening to sort of get a jump start and prevent these shootings because you've, uh, in advance, identified someone who is likely to be a shooter, but you don't trample over their rights either. No. What, um, what, what a, what a tightrope. It's, it's, it's definitely a tightrope. It's, it's a litigation minefield every day. Um, one of the things that I've done throughout my career and, um, my colleague, Officer Jezier, who's not doing it full time is educate our administrators on what our limitations are. Um, Law enforcement officers in the school still have to meet the constitutional standards, the probable cause, before we can go into that locker, before we can go into that book bag, unless there's some exigency, something legitimately, you know, I saw a gun. Okay, 
it's not the administrator's job anymore. It's my job. I go into that book. But don't school administrators have a different set of rules? They do. They're in um, loco parentis of the, of the students? They're in loco parentis, and they need reasonable suspicion, uh, a much lower standard, and uh, they have the right. Um, it's school board policy is set out. Um, they have the right to search the lockers. That's school um, mm-hmm. property. Uh, if there is any whisper or hint or rumor of a safety issue, um, the school administrators will take the lead. Uh, they will do the school investigation for any kind of violations of student code of conduct. Um, I'll be right there with them. We will be nearby. Um, we want to make sure that we give them the opportunity to um, follow the school policies and practices first. And then if there's a need for us to step in, then we would, you know, intervene and we would do fulfill our law enforcement role. And so, John, you, you talk about signs and, and, and signals and things that you, you perceive with the, with these kids. And I'm wondering, are there like some certain common red flags that are historically present or that one of the, um, the experts that I've, that I've, drawn a lot from um, in the area of teenage violence. Uh, His name is Phil Chalmers. Uh, He has done over 800 in-depth case studies of teen-involved homicides Mm -hmm. and identified several critical areas where um, that are present in all of them. Uh, He's got a top 10 list, for example. I kind of use that as a guideline. Um, Things that are everyone would think would be, you know, a logical idea like uh, mental instability, uh, drug or all, drug and alcohol addiction or use, um, instability in a home, um, you know, the, a, n- a number of things, like I said, top 10 is, is, there his, is what he calls it. Um, any one of these things standing alone is just what the, fr- <clears throat> what the phrase implies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we see someone who has two, three, four of these things going on in their life, um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, suggesting or referring them to one of the school counselors. How are you doing? Is there anything we can do for you? What can we do to bring some of the loners, some of the kids that are that do feel isolated into the fold and give them some meaningful activities and relationships, connect them with other students. And so do you think from your experience that, uh, because sometimes I think it's it's really hard to know what's going mm-hmm. on in a child's home life and, and in their life outside of school. Are, are there telltale signs that you have learned to recognize or that the school has learned to recognize from, based on what you've seen so far? Um, I draw on like the Secret Service, um, their threat assessment models and some of the things that they do. Um, everyone can have some emotional leakage um, when things are really, really bad. Uh, and, and they tend to say things to other people. Um, what the Secret Service just released the, their findings from the 2021 study were over uh, in the mid-90% range people involved in targeted acts of violence, someone else knew. Okay. Uh, so one of the things in <clears throat> being present in the schools, establishing those relationships, um, kids, whether it's me or whether it's a counselor, 
kids are a lot more comfortable saying, hey, this bothered me. Somebody said something that made me upset or concerned. So I, I really think the most critical thing is being mindful of relationships okay. and you know, listening to what the kids have to say. And, and so with that, do you think there's enough um, communication between the schools, between uh, school resource officers and the parents, um, all parents, uh, to, to know what they should be looking at, what they should be looking for, what they're overhearing from their child, their child's friend, that sort of thing. Do you think more needs to happen there? That's a difficult question. I would say the short answer would be yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most important thing is friends, family, adults, acquaintances, being attentive to when somebody says something, when somebody's bothering something. Everybody doesn't need a psychologist. That's not what I mean. Right. You know, but it's just, you know, listening. And if something sounds out of place, then respond to it. And, and investigate it and, and call somebody. Um, you know, some of the, the anti-terrorism campaigns in the United States in the last 15 years, see something, say something. There's a lot of validity to that. Mm-hmm. My job and, you know, Officer Jezure, um, just in our community, we chase a lot of ghosts. We're okay with that. Sure. If, if you hear something or see something or uh, run across a writing that disturbs you, by all means, let us know. We will, we will investigate as much as we possibly can and determine if we've got a legitimate threat or maybe if it's somebody who just needs some help. And, and I'd, I'd like to hear more about what type of uh, information campaign there is with the students and the kids about being aware. And, and let's hold that till after the break. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to school resource officer from North Royalton, Ohio, John Carl. And we're trying to find out for ourselves and educate ourselves what what is going on in our schools and is it effective to have SROs in the schools. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. If in the meantime you wish to email us, you can email us at theadvocateradio at gmail.com or you can call the station with your question here at 216-901-0945. That number again is 216-901-0945. This is Nick Phillips. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate with School Resource Officer John Carl. And we have with us Kathy Lux in the studio. And uh, we're, we're talking about um, what actually is going on in the schools, how dangerous is it, and what is being done. Is what is being done, is it being effective, and is it working? And uh, we were just talking about how is this information being coached or trained to students. Uh, Kathy, I think you had that last question. I, I did. I, I, I would like, John, to explain, um, I, I, I guess I should call you Officer Carl. Um, I would like you to explain the program in place to get the kids on board with raising, knowing when to recognize a red flag or knowing when they should say something. What is that effort like? What what happens there? Um, so one of the 
one of the training systems that we employed in our school district is the Alice training system. Um, the the Alice training system, it's an acronym. It stands for Alert, Lockdown, Inform, Counter, and Evacuate. And basically what that system does is it's not supposed to be sequential in nature. It's, it's uh, constant encouragement. We have online training. We have scenarios that we do with staff. Um, it's to encourage people to be intent- attentive to their environment and make sure that they are paying attention to the little things and bringing them to the attention of the people above them and taking appropriate action. Um, Along with that, there is also curriculum in their program, age-appropriate curriculum, all the way K through 12, um, where we instruct the kids on what we expect them to do in the case of an emergency. Um, Of course, most of the time, falling back on listen to your teachers, listen to the adult, adult staff member, follow their instructions, but also uh, help encourage them if they find something in their environment that they're absolutely, you know, that they're afraid of, to take action, empower them to take action themselves. Um, With that, you know, being present, excuse me, being approachable um, and encouraging the kids if something makes them uncomfortable, make sure they say something to somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that that intervention piece, that, that communication piece, uh, I've worked with a lot of administrators and I, I think we've mostly found that the most important part of, of having a safe environment. Knowing that there's someone to talk to, knowing that if you see things that bother you, there's someone you can go to and say something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you find that in practice is actually happening where there are students who... Again, the fact that the SRO is in the school every day and is part of the school system and is familiar with the students and the students are familiar with the uh, police officer, uh, do you actually find that there is this free flow of candid information flowing to you? So when there's a problem, it's more likely than not that you're going to hear something from one of the kids who will say, maybe keeping their own anonymity, but letting you know, Officer Carl... There's, there may be a problem here. Do you get that kind of stuff? I do. Uh, myself, Officer Jezure, um, we, the kids do come to us. And, and being approachable and being the right person, uh, it's always uh, important when a school brings an officer in to make sure that there's a, it's a thoughtful process so it's not somebody that's going to be you know, overbearing or authoritarian uh, but someone who is approachable and is willing to listen, um, and and that just goes a long way. And by the way, we have an open phone line if anyone has a concern about school security and their children and would like to uh, pose a question, Officer Carl, feel free to call us here at WHK, 216-901-0945. Uh, we have a, call or a question that came in uh, off the Internet Question, in a large school where there's a one-entrance-only policy, is that a difficult thing to do? I understand that was a problem in Texas with an open door that maybe shouldn't have been open. Uh, ideally, um, what we're doing in the actual physical structures now is trying to funnel everybody to a single entrance so that you can manage the ingress and egress to the building all the time. Um, after certain hours, sometimes... Because of the size of the building, that's not 
100% practicable. Uh, say, for example, you have one entrance where uh, parent drivers are dropping off students. You have another entrance where all the school bus riders come in. Um, again, depending on the size of your school school building, um, that's that's one of the ways to do it. Uh, if it's a small enough population where everybody can funnel through one entrance at the same time, um, you know, and just the simple act of, of focusing your staff in that area, um, you know, just kind of helps oversee the comings and goings. Do school systems exercise shooter exercises in these plans? As part of the training that we've been doing uh, on a regular basis, uh, the, the short answer is yes. Um, the state of Ohio passed a law actually following Sandy Hook. Uh, it was a house built 422 at the time, mandating um, school safety plans and also mandating drills, uh, school safety drills. Um, it just it hadn't been a mandate before then in Ohio, but once they did that, um, it's it's been an integral part of what we do. Uh, there are benchmarks that you have to hit throughout the school year. There are benchmarks that you have to hit periodically uh, reviewing your safety plans. Um, there's a seated committee that involves a community member, a teacher, an educator, you know, educator, um, school administrator, police, fire, you know, everybody that would be, mm-hmm. would have any responsibilities uh, responding. So they're all part of that process. And so with that, um, I just read something in, I think, uh, one of the newspapers today, I believe, talking about uh, our state legislature uh, looking at f- funding, mm-hmm. more funding for schools for security and safety. Um, in your mind, with your experience, would that mean more safety officers, more more? school resource officers um, in place? Would that mean uh, different types of equipment? What, what do you see that as being the, the, the biggest needs? If I think, first of all, having more officers, um, one of the things that communities are facing nationwide right now is um, a reduction in manpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, officers that are going away by... Uh, because of attrition, uh, are not being replaced that quickly. Um, so that's a that's a pretty significant situation. Um, so more officers, yes, um, especially trained staff is helpful. Um, but I've in my career, I found it more helpful if everyone stays within their area of expertise. I do the law enforcement, the security part. The teachers do, um, you know, their part. When there's any kind of a crisis occurring, I need the teachers to do what they do best, manage right. their classroom. You know, we, the administrators, the first responders deal with the, the emergency at hand, and the, the teachers, we need them to manage their students that are immediately under their care. Mm-hmm. Um, more police officers, I, sure, I'd always love to have more police officers. I, I mean present yeah. in the, present. In yeah, the school. Absolutely. Yes. Um, the goal we're working toward is one in every building, okay. um, and it's not to be overbearing. It's to be, it, it's really to be a passive presence. In, in as much as I'm not waving the flag and, and putting that uniform in front of everybody's face, it's more, you know, establishing those relationships, 
mm-hmm. and and letting people have that feeling that they have someone there. Sure, but you're in uniform and Absolutely. you're wearing your gun, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And there are parents I've heard not locally but in the national discussion talking about not wanting to see schools become militarized in their feel to the kids um what what would your response to that be i think a poll of the students um you would find that they don't feel threatened or intimidated by the officers being there at all and that's where the selection process of the officers that are going into the schools, it, it's got to be a, a thoughtful process. It's got to be a deliberate, we're looking for a certain type of officer um, who is going to to be approachable, to be attentive, uh, but also accomplished in understanding the security protocols and procedures. Right. Good. We're talking to School Resource Officer John Carl from the North Road Police Department and uh, Kathy Lex and I are talking about the issues going on with the schools and whether or not we understand what's going on and whether or not the people out there who have their children going to these schools are doing it uh, and understand what, whether or not they have a safe school based upon what the relationship is between the police, the students, and the administration. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words uh, with more with uh, Officer John Carl, School Resource Officer, and Kathy Lux. So don't go away. We'll be right back after these words. Don't go away. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. I'd like to thank... Officer John Carl, the school resource officer out in North Carleton, uh, for joining us tonight because uh, I think we've learned a lot about what an SRO does. But uh, but now for the tough question because we saw this in Columbine. We saw this in Texas recently. We saw it in, was it Park, Parkland, Florida? Uh, the issue is this. The hard question is with regard to not only the SRO but all other law enforcement officers uh, what are they expected to do when they're facing a shooter? Do they go through the door or do they wait for the cavalry to arrive or more cavalry? Or how, Students, children, innocent children are about to or are being murdered methodically uh, and the police officers are out there. What, what is the expectation of the trained police officer? And, and John Carl, I know you were in a combat area because you were in the military and you, you faced weapons, you faced danger and all of this. Uh, what's your take on that? How do, how do we civilians understand what you guys are faced with? Um, well, I, I have to make a little correction, Nick. I wasn't in the military. It was a, it was a deployment uh, with the United Nations as a peacekeeper. Uh, it was through the State Department. We were in an active war zone. I was carrying a firearm. We did do you know, a lot of that. I, there were a lot of things if you were in a movie, it would have looked like a military. It would have looked like the military, <laughs> right. yes. Thank you. But at least but you're no, in the I same situation. Yes, definitely. <laughs> you're still um, facing you know, possible death. You know, yes. When you, when you are called and you, you show up at a situation, you show up at a school and you hear there is an active shooter with a military-style semi-automatic weapon with you know, hundreds of rounds, you have to think about the fact that this may be your last day, depending on how this plays out. What do you do? I'm going in. Um, we have... Uh, there have been entities that have developed some specialized training for us. Um, one of the methodologies is called solo engagement. Um, we've abandoned the wait for everybody else to show up, wait for 
um, and this is very popular in Ohio, I know for sure, um, we go in. Uh, we learn to understand what's going on in the environment, shouts, screams, gunfire, whatever the environmental stimulus is. We go toward the problem. We go through the door. We try to, do, we try to neutralize the threat as soon as possible. Um, I've been trained in that methodology. Officer Jezure, my, my the full-time partner, uh, she's been trained in that. Uh, she was also in the Marine Corps. Um, there's no doubt in my mind either one of us would go through that door. Uh, I have had a couple of situations in our schools where at the time the information was there was somebody with a gun, and I did go through the door. I, 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 that's, I know that I hope in every situation that's exactly what I would do. Um, I spent seven years on a SWAT team locally. Uh, I had over 100 missions under my belt. SWAT doesn't come out unless there's shooting going on or a, a substantial threat for shooting. Um, so that's my comfort zone. I will go. Is, is there any circumstance where officers would be outside of a, a room area listening to gunfire and children being murdered and they would take a position of waiting for an hour? I'd like to say no. Um, every situation is a little bit different. Uh, but basically, everything we did in SWAT, everything we do in the solo engagement, if there's active gunfire, we're doing the best we can to break down that barricade and get through that door and and stop whatever is happening. Fortunately, if we don't have to actually experience that, something is working. So uh, do you happen to know if, if the training um, that you are talking about, the program that you've that you've used and implemented and that is strong in Ohio. Do you happen to know how that is in other states? Is that present nationwide or, I, I mean, obviously that was not put into play uh, in Texas. The, yeah. One of the, one of the copyrighted programs is also through the folks that did Alice, uh, the Alice system. It's called the Raider solo engagement. Um, there are various schools, um, run by various people, entities throughout the United States that teach those concepts. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, the training is available. Um, how widespread? Um, I, I, I couldn't give you a direct, accurate answer on that. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you know it, it's very popular in Ohio, and I know that it's something that we're doing. So this is something that perhaps we can learn from what just happened in Texas that we need to make certain that this is becoming the training nationally in every school district. Definitely. Um, there's another methodology, um, same thing involving EMS, police EMS working together. Um, it's called a rescue task force where um, the threat might not be neutralized, but we're starting to collect paramedics to go in also with us. Um, it's called going into the warm zone where you start treating trauma victims and things like that. Police act as security while the paramedics do their thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another thing that's been um, actively being trained uh, throughout Ohio as well. That's a wonderful idea. Hoping for some glimmer of hope here. You mentioned uh, Phil Chalmers. And uh, are, are there some ways of seeing it coming, I, I think, uh, 
he he's outlined some of the <coughs> ten signs I think you mentioned. But mm-hmm. uh, what what are some of the things that would draw your attention in your school that would uh, hopefully neutralize and derail the direction where it's going, where we're going to have a young man, usually a young man. I haven't heard of any young women doing this, uh, but uh, a young man shooter about to come into a school. How do you de- detect it and derail it? Uh, as I said before, um, there's usually someone that knows. There's someone that's been told. Um, or someone who has heard something, uh, we really want to reach out to those people. We really want um, that person who's overheard something uh, and kind of brushes it off as, oh, it probably is nothing. I'd rather have them say so. You mentioned emotional leakage earlier. Interesting term that I think things are building up in someone so much that they have to tell someone. Is that a reaction people have that's that's a big part of it and that's one of the areas um there are people that work in um identifying terrorist threats and things like that uh a lot of this comes from the secret service homeland security other sources um we try to um intervene when those opportunities come along where somebody says something to somebody where they're planning or whether they're trying to acquire something you know a young kid um trying looking into guns or researching guns on the internet mm-hmm. that doesn't have a reason telltale to. sign mm-hmm. in, in our closing minute uh, how how comfortable and confident do you feel that the state of the doctrine and the training in your job is adequate and should identify and detect the next event for me personally nothing is ever good enough uh, I, I, it's a continuous process. It must be an active process. Uh, I think we're doing a good job. I think we're doing a very good job. Uh, but there's always more to do, and there's always more practice to be done. And that's, you know, we're ramping that up again. And there, we're actually, there have been a lot of conversations about that recently. Wow, a lot to think about. <clears throat> SRO, John Carl, thank you so much for your service both with the United Nations, which is in the military as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and and, and I want to thank you also. And, and I, I think I, I, the frustrating part that I think is probably being felt by many is when these issues come up, when these tragedies happen, it becomes political warfare. And these are the conversations that we need to be having. That, that How do we improve? What did we learn what is available to us? Where do we need to go from here? Wonderful. Kathy, thank you so much. Again, Officer Carl, thank you for joining us. And thank you for listening to us tonight. Have a great week. Be healthy and safe. And we'll be back here same time, same station next week. So good night. Good night. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset. Sat and drank my fresh mint tea. Nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company The Advocate is sponsored by Nick Phillips and is responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.